the final week has turned into the first week. Jesus, the first fruits among many brothers. Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. As you're opening there, if you've missed any of these the messages from this series, they're available on the website. On the, you can find how, out how to access that through your bulletin this morning. Mark 16. Although the resurrection of Jesus Christ is spoken of in all four of the Gospels, I wanted to use Mark's for a very special reason um, that we'll see towards the end of the message. But in chapter 16, verse 1, the Bible says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, that they might come and anoint Him, Him being Jesus. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll the stone away from the door for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe her. And after that, he appeared to, in another form to two of them as they walked into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Let's stop there for a minute. Mark's gospel account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, probably has fewer details um, than the other than the other evangelists as they wrote. Um, obviously, if we're going to study uh, the entirety of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to have a well balanced study of it. We'll need to look um, at Matthew, at, at, at Luke's account, and also John's account, which is still yet different than the other three synoptic gospels. But I want you to see several things as as the dialogue, the monologue, the dual monologue this morning. Um, was was describing was that there were these women went to the tomb and it, and they outlined what their life was walking to the tomb and then what their life was like after the tomb. They gave us a taste of both accounts before tomb and after tomb. And I want you to see this morning in this message, out of all of the different angles that we could take in looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want to focus on those women. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, those women that went down to that tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, to prepare it for burial. I want you to consider several things. Look at that question that they ask when they're walking to the tomb. They say, who will roll the stone away for us from the tomb? Now, don't you think that that would have been something they probably would have thought of or should have thought of uh, before because they knew that Jesus had been entombed? 
They would have known that there were Roman guards placed at the tomb and they would be there for three days. They knew the tomb was sealed for the purpose that nobody would come and steal his body. In fact, it was the religious leaders. They said before Pilate, we remember that this liar said in three days he would be raised from the dead. So because of that word, the religious leaders were so afraid, still not believing that Jesus was who he said he was, they worked with Pilate and with the Romans to be able to secure a guard to make sure that nobody touched that tomb. And yet these ladies, somehow in their heart, in their love for Jesus Christ, wanted to do the very best they could possibly do. And I want you to think about that question. Who will roll the stone away for us? Here they've already got their spices, they've already got everything they need for this embalming procedure, if you will. And as they're walking to the tomb, then the question comes up. They were worried and concerned at some level of how they were actually going to get in there to do what they had planned to do this whole time. Now, you could say it was poor planning. We could, we could say many things, I guess, in regards to the women having the question right there. But I think that one thing is true is that there is no doubt that these women loved Jesus Christ. There is no doubt that these women had come together and thought, hey, we want to do the very best we can possibly do for him in this situation. And that is definitely noteworthy. That's definitely something we should consider in my life. Am I doing for Jesus what he is deserving of and worthy of? Am I taking the very best that I possibly can and to the best of my ability, offering it up as, a, as an act of service to Jesus Christ? First thing I want you to see about this tomb story, about the women at the tomb, was that their worries were removed. Here they are fretting and stewing over who is going to turn, who is going to roll the stone away, and yet when they get there, they find that the stone has already been removed. Think about it for a moment. Have there been moments in your life that you worried about something greatly? Maybe much like those women, you're walking down the road and, and you're, you're, you're upset, you're depressed, you're saddened, and you're saddened because of the event that lies that you're about to witness at the end of the road. For you, there's something ahead of you that is causing you trouble and concern. Maybe you're worrying about something that is supposed to come next week or next month or next year, or maybe years from now and you're stewing about it and you're worrying about it. How many times in our life have we been worrying about something on the road with our heads down and so concerned, so ate up with it, and when we got there to that destination, we found that Jesus had already taken care of it. That God had already removed the very object that we were worried about. He already took away that which was causing us concern on the journey. And we get there and see that God had already tended to the issue. And then we look back at ourselves and we say, why was I worrying? Why was I so upset? Why did I allow that to affect me to the level it did when God had it under control the entire time? You see, God knew what was needed. Think about this for a moment. What happened there in that, at that tomb? What happened with those women? Is something that God has done throughout the Bible. It, it, it finds itself in both the Old Testament and New Testament. I want you to consider something for a moment. Adam and Eve had needs. 
Some of the stuff we worry about may not be a legitimate need. It may not be a legitimate worry, but we found ourselves worrying about it nonetheless. These women knew if the stone wasn't rolled away, they couldn't do what they needed to do. It was a legitimate need. There was a legitimate need in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had sinned. They had separated themselves out of fellowship with God when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Instead of running to Him and fellowshipping with Him face to face as they were created to do, they turned and ran and hid themselves in the fig trees. And you remember when God said, Adam, where are you? He said, I'm in the tree naked, right? I'm hiding. I've covered myself in fig leaves because I'm ashamed. The Bible reminds us that they were hiding because they knew they had disobeyed God. They had seen themselves differently now in their nakedness and they were ashamed. Adam and Eve had a legitimate need. They needed a reconciled relationship with God. They needed their shame covered. They needed something to cover up the nakedness of their disobedience and there they got it. There in the garden, one of the first sacrifices we find is that God took a coat of skins and covered Adam and Eve. God knew their need before they even needed it. Here they are worried and concerned all the effects of that disobedience and yet God was there at the end of the road to cover their shame and nakedness with the covering of an animal. Made a sacrifice, if you will, on their behalf. God's people found themselves in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. Spending time under the taskmaster's whip making bricks to build up Egypt's empire. Over 400 years, they lived and died in those bricks. They were treated horribly. They needed deliverance. Who's going to deliver us? Who's going to make a way? When God sends Moses to deliver the people, do you know what God said? I've heard your cry. I've heard your cry. Just like Adam and Eve needed a covering, God's people in Egypt needed deliverance. And you know what? He delivered them. Forty years after He delivered them out of Egypt, they needed they had another need. They needed to get into the promised land. Jo- Joshua was the commander, was the, was the leader taking over for Moses after he had died. And here they stand at the front steps of the promised land. And there's Jericho with the giant walls around it. And what is going to happen? How are we going to get in there? And God tells them, I got it under control. Nobody had to worry. How is God going to get us into the land that He promised? How is He going to do it? God did it. He caused the walls to come down. They didn't have to worry because it was all under the control of a powerful, sovereign, loving God. Whether, the, whether Adam and Eve were covered or God's people were delivered or God provided entrance for His people to keep His promise. You know what? He did it on the cross. We had a need. The greatest need of all was to be reconciled to God. We didn't have to say, oh my, what's going to happen? Because Jesus, before we even knew our need of Him, died on the cross for us. We were still sheep going astray. Every man to his own way. And yet God said, they are so blind. Wandering. Straying. And yet God in His infinite love and wisdom and omnipotence for us provided a way through Jesus Christ His Son, the sacrifice on the cross for us, that He would save us. And here the women are walking down the road. Who is going to roll the stone away? And they get there and much to their surprise, the stone 
has already been rolled away. Aren't you glad, believers, that in Christ Jesus we really don't need to worry about anything? Nothing. You know why? He has it under control. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear. That's easy for us to say in a land of sufficiency. You know what? Believers all over the world, they don't have to worry because God has it all under control. I want you to see the second thing. Their love was rewarded. I know in the monologue, the ladies said, it's the least we could do. But I want to debate that point for a moment. Because I've heard it said as well that those ladies that went to the tomb were doing well the least they could do. But I want you to think about something for a moment. Those women, Mary Magdalene, of course, was also at the the crucifixion with Jesus. She was there at the base of the cross. This was a woman that spent time honoring Jesus Christ. Was not afraid to be associated with Him. Was not afraid to be identified with Him. She knew who He was. No, it didn't matter what everybody else thought about Him. And yet these women, think about this for a moment, they are on their way, okay? They are on their way to visit a man who has been condemned as a criminal, who has been rejected by their own people, and is protected by a Roman guard. When these women are walking down that road, guys, and they're on their way to the tomb, I have to believe that they had quite a significant backbone. Because they were going to be going literally right up. And in their mind, the tomb was still sealed. And in their mind, there was still a guard that was going to be watching that tomb. Those women were ready to go nose to nose with that Roman guard. In their mind, they were not going to leave, it appears, without getting in that tomb. If they had to break that rock themselves, if they had to go around that guard, they were willing to be at a place where nobody else was. They were not afraid to be associated with him as a condemned criminal. They were not, they did not care that their own people had rejected him. They didn't care who was standing there with a spear or a sword or a weapon in his armor. They didn't care. They loved Jesus that much. How often do we back down from those things? Think about that for a moment. Those women are visiting someone that everybody else rejected. Their own people. Many of their own people believed he was a liar, a lunatic. And yet they didn't care. How often do our friends play a role in our life? They may not believe in Christ, so then we act like we don't either. Instead of being the spiritual thermostat in the room that sets the spiritual temperature, we become the spiritual thermometer in the room just reflecting what the temperature already is. How many of us share that same boldness, the same love of Jesus Christ, the same desire to associate with Him and it doesn't matter? How often, not just out of people rejecting Him, how how sometimes people think uh, horrible things about Jesus and when we get in their circle of friends, sometimes we may begin to sound like them or live like them or dial back our witness a little bit just because we want to fit in. Let me remind you something. Peter said what he said because it fit with the people that he was surrounded with. 
Peter said, I do not know the man, not just because of the fear of being on trial, but because that's what everybody else around thought of Jesus. Peter became a thermometer, not a thermostat. Their love was rewarded. Their love led them to a bold identification with Jesus Christ. Husbands, let me ask you a quick question. Are we as bold in our homes to identify with Jesus Christ? I mean, are we, are we holding back on our spiritual growth and our spiritual development? Are we bold in doing the right thing and leading our family to the glory of God because we are concerned what someone else might think and therefore we dial it back a little bit? We're afraid to make the real tough decisions in life. We're afraid to make, get our priorities lined up because we're afraid of what other people might think or what other people might consider. Maybe in our jobs, we're afraid to really do the right thing. Or are we the ones who are willing to make the right decision to do the business deal that can still honor God? Are we willing to conduct ourselves in such a way that it doesn't matter what people say about us? I, I don't care what they think I am or who they think my Lord is. I only care about who I know Him to be and I'm living that out right now. Or do we dial that back are we the parent because we're afraid of what our kids may think of us or are are afraid to put guidelines to help them afraid to, to guide them in the way that they need to go because we're worried about what other parents might think are we so wrapped up in so many things that the things of real priority fall to the wayside these women had their worries removed, and they had their love rewarded. Guys, I don't think it's any coincidence at all that this woman, Mary Magdalene, because of her great love for Jesus Christ, was really given one of the greatest blessings ever. She was the first to see the risen Lord. She was the first voice to hear as she ran back and said, I've been to the tomb. The tomb is empty. I saw an angel. He said He's not there. And then I saw Jesus and He told me to tell all of you to go meet Him in Galilee as He said. She had the greatest of all privileges because of this little act of faith, her, her, her un, being unafraid to be associated with Jesus, to not care what other people thought and be willing to go nose to nose with a Roman guard. Here she comes to the tomb and she is able to behold Jesus Christ and, and, and allowed to be the first one to take that message that literally to be the spark that set the world on fire. And I believe when we have an unashamed love, I believe that when we have a bold faith in our life, what we may think may be a small action, what we may think may be a, an insignificant duty, God says that's not insignificant at all. Guys, we worship a God that still blesses faith. He does. I worship, you worship a God that can be honored in the little things. We worship a God that can take the message, 
can take our lives, can take our words and use them for His glory and honor. And let me tell you something. These ladies are known all over the world. Your act of faith, your act of love, your unashamed relationship with Jesus Christ may not necessarily be seen by everybody. Your acts of love and gratitude towards Him may not be seen by everybody. But let me tell you, God knows. He knows. The one that matters knows. And He is the great accountant of deeds. Let me show you this third thing. Their joy was restored. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ was not raised from the dead, we celebrate that He did. We believe He did. But He interjects this awesome thought. Not in that in itself it is awesome, but when we realize what He's saying, we come, apart, we come away with this great joy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle says, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then we won't either. If He didn't, we didn't. We won't. He also says, if Jesus Christ did not raise then our preaching is vain, empty. He says, not only is our preaching empty, but your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Wow! If Jesus did not raise, we would not raise either. If Jesus did not raise, our preaching would be empty. If Jesus didn't raise, my faith would be worthless because faith is only as good as the object that holds it. And not only would my faith be worthless, but if Jesus Christ didn't raise, Paul says, I would still be in my sins. How would we know that that sacrifice was accepted? How would we know? I mean, when it comes down to the end of our life and our final words of the chapter of our book are being written, we want to know when we step into that grave that there's another side. We want to know. Man, if Jesus didn't raise and our preaching is in vain, we won't raise. Our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. The good news is that because Jesus did rise, we will rise as well. The good news is because Jesus Christ is alive, this preaching of the cross and Him crucified and raised again is not empty. And the good news? My faith in Him is not worthless. If my faith is only as good as the object which which holds it, (laughs) our faith is great. Our faith is rock solid. And praise God, my faith, our faith, your saving relationship with Jesus Christ is valid because He raised from the dead their worries were removed their love was rewarded their joy was restored those ladies i love the story of mary magdalene because it says that she was healed of seven demons that lived inside of her woman had a horrible horrible existence 
Other accounts we get of people who were demon-possessed would fall into the fire or into the water. They would cut themselves. They were, they were literally outcasts. So if you can imagine, Mary Magdalene had seven demons living inside of her. Jesus encounters her and casts those demons out. Can you imagine the joy that she would have had? I mean, literally a new life. No more demon possession. No more exclusion. No more social outcast. No more harm to herself. No more lack of control of her life. She could literally be a new person. No doubt there would have been tremendous joy that would have come from her life. No doubt that would have been a joyful apex of her existence. And then she follows Jesus throughout His ministry. She provides for the needs of the disciples. And then she sees Him hanging on the cross. Her devotion would not allow her to remove from His side. She is there at the cross beholding Jesus. He breathes His last to tell us die, lays His head back. It is finished. It stands finished. It will always be finished. And then, hope left her. She didn't come to meet the risen Lord. She came to anoint His dead body. The women nailed it. Were we wrong? Was He not who He said He was? Guys, their joy was restored. I would say their latter joy was greater than their former joy. Because He had overcome all things. The fourth and final. The scattered returned. No mention of the disciples there that morning. They were hiding out. Laying low. Scared. It's the women. The bold women. The disciples, if you remember... In another one of the Gospel accounts when He did finally meet the disciples, do you remember that He had to actually appear inside of the house that they were at? Miraculously appeared inside the house. Do you know why that was? What do you think the conversation would have gone like had Jesus went, Who is it? It's me. Jesus. They're going to kill us. They think we're really going to believe that? How about this? Who's there? The great I am. No, it's not. No, it's not. He had to appear in the middle of them. Why? Because they were so afraid. There's no way they would have opened the door. He appeared right there. But think about this for a moment. Jesus initiated the relationship with those people. They were on their way out. They were sad. They were downtrodden. They were defeated. They were locked in a room. They did not want to come out. And then, what does Jesus say? What does the Gospel say in Mark to the women? What's their message? Go, tell His disciples and Peter that He has risen from the grave and He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him just 
as he said to you. You see, Jesus had already told them he was going to be raised again the third day. Three different occasions he reminded them of that. But apparently they couldn't get past the idea that he would die. And when he died, the death gripped them so that they could not lift up their eyes or allow their minds to remember the promise that he was going to rise. And so, God says, I have ordained a time and a place to meet them again. Let me tell you something really, really, really important. If 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus Christ died according to the Scriptures and He was raised according to the Scriptures, then shouldn't I also believe His words when He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Friends, when the fulfillment of prophecy prophesies, you can take it to the bank. If Jesus promised we would see him again for those of you that are unbelievers for those of you that have not made up your mind regarding christ you have a date with god as well the apostle paul said for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that we may give an account of the things done in our body whether good or bad none of us are are going to get around this date with god that we have it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. God knew his followers were afraid. He knew they were scattered. What did he do as any good shepherd would? As any good shepherd would, he goes to his flock and gathers them in. Friends, there's another little word in there. It tells me so much about Jesus. God could have easily just said, and it still would have been a token of grace to say to those disciples, I want to meet you in Galilee. But God didn't stop there. Remember, angels only say what God tells them to say, and they only do what God tells them to do. And this angel heard God say, I want you to tell them to go tell his disciples and Peter. Why is that significant? Why would that be significant that God would call Peter out specifically? I believe the answer is found in Peter's denial. Lord, even though all would be offended by you and leave you, I won't. You saw the video. You saw the dramatic monologue that Jonathan did. See, Peter went away feeling as though he was a failure. And his last encounter on the religious scene at that moment was him saying, I... I call heaven to record that I do not know the man. Was disowning Jesus. Aren't you glad to know that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more? Aren't you glad to know that even though Peter said, I don't know him, Jesus says, I do. I know him. And that Jesus would call him out specifically I know Peter's going to be depressed. I know he's going to be upset. He's not going to feel worthy to come. But I want you to make sure that this message gets 
to Peter. Friends, let me tell you something. There may be some of you that may be carrying around guilt and shame. Maybe some of you have been just beat down. Maybe some of you feel like a worthless parent, a worthless Christian, a worthless employee. Let me tell you something. Your life has meaning and value. And that meaning and value was ascribed to you because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. I would tell you this. I believe any one of us could put our name right there. Go tell his disciples and Jamie. Go tell his disciples and Joe. Go tell his disciples and Brenda. Go tell his disciples that I have arranged a time and a place to meet them. Guys, that resurrection changed everything. And the resurrection still stands to change everything for us today. I'm going to ask you this. Just close your eyes for just, just a moment, please, with me. There are three different people in this final week story. There were the women who were unashamed. They were willing to honor Christ the best they could. They weren't concerned about what other people thought about Jesus. They knew who He was. They understood that they were going to have to go nose to nose with the guard, but it didn't matter. They were going to go. Friends, do we have that type of dedication in our life? Are we allowing lesser things to keep us from the cause of Christ? Are we allowing things to keep us from being that godly spiritual leader as a man? Are we, keeping, are we allowing other things to keep us from being that godly witness, both visible and verbal in our life for Jesus Christ? If that's the case, I want to ask you, would you be willing to confess that to the Lord this morning? Say, God, I know I'm a believer, but I'm, I'm, I'm more represented by the disciples hiding out, being afraid. Allow that boldness that God gives us through His Spirit to live out through your life, to be a verbal, vocal, visible witness for Jesus Christ. Maybe you are like the disciples, a follower, maybe in name only. Maybe there's not much in your life. If we were to look at the fruit hanging from your life, there wouldn't be much that shows Jesus Christ. But you know in your heart you're saved. Would you be willing to come out from that house? Would you be willing to allow the truth that Jesus Christ conquered and defeated all things, including death, and that we, He has left us no reason to fear anything? Maybe you're like those religious leaders. They had more information, more knowledge than anybody, but they were so lost. They couldn't see that Jesus was who He said He was. Today, you can begin a brand new life from the final week to the first week. The resurrection of Jesus Christ turns everything around. I'm going to go ahead and ask my counselors to come forward. I want to pray with you. And when I say amen, as these men come forward and stand, if you want to start that journey with Jesus Christ today, I'm going to ask you to just step out and come. Would you allow yourself to follow the truth of the Gospel? Father, I thank